Welcome to the Odin's Light podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by David Mama, writer and director of BR1, or apartment BR1 in the UK, and Alec Mishra, the producer. It's a crazy story about how they got this independent movie, their first movie, through production to become number one in Netflix USA. They had to deal with fires near the production office. One of their tr production trucks got stolen. There was a high-speed car chase. Members of cast pulling out, dropping out. It's an amazing story about how they got this fantastic film through all of that and onto our screens. Stay tuned to listen how they managed to get it done. I'm joined here by David Mama. Is that right? Yeah. Great, good. Writer and director, and Alok Mishra, uh, the producer of One BR. Guys, thank you so much for giving me time for this podcast, and congratulations on getting number one on Netflix. Things must be crazy right now. Yeah, it's been pretty nuts. Thanks for having us. So it's really nice to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, it was definitely a culmination of a lot of different things that came together finally to, to make that happen. It, we, you know, to be honest, like, you know, we didn't even know if we were going to make it in the top 10. And then to debut at number five, I was like, okay, well, that was an accomplishment in its own regard. So I could, you know, be happy. And then every day it kept on like going like up and up until we got to Thursday, we were like number two. And I was like, you know, we really could be number one. <laughs> like, I, I believe we can do this, you know? And then when we were, it was, that was crazy. Cause I was just like, what? <laughs> like, we, beat, we beat Jamie Foxx's movie. <laughs> like, you know, it's like this hundred million dollar movie is beaten by this small, no budget film. And it's like, just, it just, it was just amazing. Like it was very rewarding. And, you know, Dave, work so hard on this and you know we all did but you know he really you know as a writer director he, he made it happen it all it all originated in his brain and uh it, it was nice to see it you know come out to the world and then the world just really kind of take it in a weird place where all our twitter feeds and like all our social media and stuff just went crazy with all these people like you know oh no she didn't or you know <laughs> oh what did you do to that cat or you know i want to spoiler sorry uh that's in the trailer i don't feel like i'm spoiling anything um but it just the response to it was that was just really nuts you know as well and people were like it was really kind of a weird uh validation if you will of like mm -hmm. you know everything we'd done all the choices dave had made all the editing you know we had all jointly tried to figure out like you know decision making wise and you know how violent to make it how violent not to make it you know who'd we turn off and it just it just it was lightning in a bottle in a weird way and i and i can tell you I don't think that I did a little research on it because you know Netflix will never tell you anything. They only yeah, tell you yeah. stuff when they've like, oh, we had a we had a hundred million views in like you know a month. That's when it's super good news. They'll share it with the world. When it's nothing of the other, they will never tell you anything. So we um, did some investigation on our own because there's public data to, for what their top ten is and stuff. And we did all we marked out all their comparables and so forth. And so I think we very well may have the highest debuting horror movie of the year if not maybe one of maybe one of the most watched at least or if not the, the most watched um because you know there's a lot of weight that goes behind being in that top 10 and we were literally in the top five for like you know seven days um so yeah anyway that's uh, that's that's the nuttiness of what went on this last week really you're catching us sort of at the 
that uh, you know crest of it, I suppose. But uh, definitely, it was uh, it was it was really interesting that that happened. I'm going to swing round to how it gets to where we're at with, with Netflix. But first of all, I want to rewind back to the beginning. So this is your first feature, right, for both of you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> So what did you do before this? Like, how did you come up to making this film together? Tell me the story. Uh, Well, I, um, this is sort of my second career. I, uh, I studied computer science in college and um, worked for several years. Um, I helped start a video game company um, and worked there for several years and then had an opportunity to get out and I wasn't happy doing that, I had kind of always wanted to make movies. And so I, I got myself out of there and uh, moved down to LA to go to film school. And uh, it was actually, I think it was, um, it was, it was really kind of early on when I was living down here that the, I sort of had the idea for this movie. Um, and and uh, it started kind of percolating in my head, you know, just with the experience of moving down here on my own. Um, but then after film school, I, I sort of did a lot of different things to try to make a living. I, I spent a lot of years doing um, like um, market research films, uh, you know, acting as kind of a one man band. Like I would go out and do the interviews and I would, you know, shoot it myself. I would edit it myself. I would do all the graphics, which was horribly boring. Um, but it kind of taught me to be, uh, you know, a, to, to do everything, to do every, every piece of the production, which I think turned out to be useful. Um, and in that time, I also, I did a bunch of shorts. Um, and then at a certain point, I, I actually gave up on directing. I, I had um, decided like, you know, my, my directing style was not, was never flashy enough. I wasn't going to be doing music videos or commercials. Um, and I'd always wanted to be a writer director. And I finally decided, you know, if I've got to just focus on one or the other, and I, I chose writing. Um, and, and that was the point where I really started teaching myself to write. And I, I, um, you know, I spent a lot of, I spent years kind of trying to learn how to do it. Um, and in that time I wrote a a script, um, and it went around town and it got me representation. And among the people who were, who wanted to, you know, who were sort of courting me to be my manager were Allard Cantor and Jared Murray, uh, who have a company called Epicenter. And when I remember when they were sort of like trying to get me interested, they said, well, you know, what other scripts do you have? Like send, send us something else you've done. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll, we can give you feedback and sort of give you a sense of like how we'd, how, you know, how we would work together. And I didn't have anything because I had sort of just taught myself to be a writer. And the only thing I had was this old script I had written years before, which was one bedroom. So I sent that to them. I had to, I had to update it because it was so old. I, I sent it off to them and, you know, t- much to my surprise, they were like, this is great. Like, we think we could get this set up with you directing. And I was like, well, first of all, sign me up. Let's, you, you guys are my managers. And uh, second of all, let's, let's do it. And so then they, um, you know, I, I actually went off and, and did a big rewrite on it because I, I had really changed a lot as a writer in that time. And then, um, and then they sent it around and Alok can pick up the story from there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, before I came to this career, uh, I did, uh, I tested movies for a living. I did market research for film. So I okay. tested films and, and also did trailer testing. And so, um, so I had, you know, an idea of what 
would make a good movie. Uh, but, you know, in terms of production and stuff, uh, it never, I'd done shorts and stuff, but never made anything like, uh, you know, a feature. So um, uh, it just so turns out that Allard Cantor and Jared Murray, his managers, uh, Allard went to high school with my wife. And uh, right. so we had one of those like, you know, lunches you have in LA. Cause like, oh, we both work in the industry. So we should meet up and talk about ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> we did this. And uh, he's like, well, what are you looking for? And I'm like, oh, well, my producing partner, Shane Borister and myself, who also used to work in market research, um, we, you know, we're trying to make elevated horror. We're trying to make, you know, thinking man's horror movies. And so he's like, I'll send you two scripts. And I was like, okay, great. And then I never read them for like six months, never read them. Because <laughs> I was working on something else, to be honest. And I was really more focused on that. And I figured I'd read it at some point, but it just, I just didn't have time at the time. But then that project fell through and I was like, holy shit. Can we curse on this, by the way? Is it okay? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, okay. Uh, holy shit, uh, I have to um, find something to do with my life, you know? So I started reading scripts and I read both the scripts he sent me. And one of which was Tragedy Girls. If you've ever, never, if you've ever seen that, it's a great film. It's a comedy horror. But I told, I told them, I said, listen, you know, in testing movies, it's always hard to do a horror, comedy horror because uh, one side is not happy with it versus the other side. Like the horror people want more horror. The comedy people want it to be more funny. It's too violent or whatever it is. And so I said, for that reason, I had to pass on that. And they're like, oh, it's okay. We just finished filming that a week ago. And I was like, well, what the fuck do I know then? Uh, but I loved 1BR. And so I basically uh, met with David over at the uh, Culver Hotel. We had, a, we had a coffee and we talked about our you know, movies and sensibilities and so forth. And we got along really well. And David's incredibly intelligent and really very, um, such a good writer. The, the script was great. I mean, it was a thing where we had been reading and trying to find a project. And then that thing just you know my producer partner and i were just like holy shit this is great we gotta we gotta see what this guy's like and so he was terrific and the rest as they say is history david what's the story really about because there seems to be kind of like an anti-establishment or anti-socialist theme in there is that right or where, where were you coming from with it uh definitely not an anti-socialist uh place um you know i i it's funny a, a locust smiling because you know we've, we've certainly had people say that. And I think there was one of the reviews that came out during our festival run that was like convinced that it was uh, some sort of like anti-communist, uh, uh, you know, symbolism. Um, and I can, I, you know, I can see that. I, um, but the, the, there's, to, to me, there's not any, it's not obviously about anything political for me. Like, to, to me, the sort of metaphorical level of it is, is much more personal. And it's about you know, something I've struggled with, and I think a lot of people struggle with, which is finding the balance between being true to yourself, um, being happy for yourself, and being good, you know, being a good citizen, being a good person, um, you know, being a good member of your family, of, of your group of friends, of your town, your state, your country, the world. And, you know, those things are often, I think, really incompatible and, and intention. And, you know, it's not something I've ever really resolved in my in my own life, but that was sort of the the metaphorical level that I thought was really interesting with this story. You know, I started, I always start a story with just a, a feeling, or you know, like to, for me, this was this started when I moved into an apartment that was really like this one, that was very cheery. You know, where you would wave to people, but you know, it was L.A. and no, you know, it never went beyond that. You didn't know anybody you're sharing walls with these people and there's something very weird and alienating about it. And that mm. was the, that was the, the seed of it for me. And I was always also really interested in fringe communities and utopian religions and things which prosper in LA. 
so the, you know, th that was sort of what began it. But then oftentimes when I, when I have an idea for something, you know, I'll start playing with it. I'll start writing it. And it kind of just dissolves to nothing. Like, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's a story, but it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't, it just kind of lays there flat. Um, and then every once in a while I'll have an idea and then you start playing with it and it starts to feel like layers pile up on top of each other. And there's like more to it. That's kind of just under the surface. And that definitely happened with this one. I started, you know, every time I sort of thought about another thing that could happen or the way the story could go was it, it felt like there were these layers of metaphor there. I guess what I'm trying to say is it was, it was a more intuitive process for me. Like it, it, I didn't set out to do anything certainly explicitly political. And I didn't really mm. even set out to do anything metaphorical. But as I got into it, and as I, especially as I was rewriting, you know, that, that sort of, that tension between, you know, it's your fucking life and, you know, being selfless and being a, a good member of the community, that kept presenting itself as something that felt true in my own life. I really like how the camera doesn't cut away at, some, at the key points and you literally, without spoiling it, drive the horror home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was that important to you that it doesn't cut away? Yeah, I mean, you know, especially that sequence that you're talking about in the middle of the movie, um, it was really important to me, like, to me, the, the scary thing about, well, the, the scary thing about the entire movie, but the, the scary thing, especially about that sequence, is that it should, I always wanted it, you know, even when I remember in the very early drafts thinking, like, this should be, this should feel the opposite of almost any other horror scene. It's not about what's hiding in the shadows. It's not about some unseen threat. It's about the like incredible banality of these people. And it's about, you know, it's about being completely brightly lit with nowhere to hide and nowhere to go. And, and that sense of just being utterly entrapped there. And I think if we had been coy with the camera, it would have defeated that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it needed to feel matter of fact because it is for them, right? Um, it needed to feel like they're just doing this is a routine that they do um, and it's horrifying for us, but it's not for them. And so I, that, that was, that was sort of the reasoning behind that, that decision. How long did it take to shoot the film? Initially 15 days. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I said. Um, it, yeah. We, we had 15 days. We had four days at, at the apartment complex that, that you see, you know, for the exteriors. Um, and then we had a few days, maybe two or three days in various other locations um, to pick up random things. And then the bulk of it, something like nine days, eight or nine days was on a set um, that we built that stood in for all of the apartment interiors. So you see four different apartments in the movie. And we had this incredible production design team led by Ricardo Jatan, who, um, you know, most of it was obviously in Sarah's apartment. And then for the last three days, basically every night they would work overnight and turn it over and just turn the thing into a different apartment. Um, and they did an incredible job. What, when, what were your biggest challenges? A 15 day shoot was a big one. <laughs> um, you know, it's the usual things on, a, on a, a, a very low budget movie. We didn't have enough money for anything. We didn't have enough time for anything. Um, we didn't have enough, you know, resources. So, you know, we didn't have extras. And it drove me crazy because there were, you know, there were days where I wanted the place to be filled with extras and we just couldn't muster it. So, you know, my parents are in the movie. 
my wife is in the movie. Most of my friends who are not working are in the movie. <laughs> like, uh, you know, a bunch of Alok's friends are in the movie. It's just like everybody we could get. A lot of the crew are in the, I mean, Alok is in the movie and Shane is in the movie. There's, there's a Where's Waldo sort of thing with me in it, yeah. unfortunately. And I, 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 will, I will hopefully never have to be in a movie again as far <laughs> as that. Because like every day they'd be like, all right, look, you got to come up and do this. And I'm like, why did you wear a shirt with a you know, logo on it? You know, you know you're going to be in the movie. And I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to be in the movie. I'm hoping I'm not in the movie. Like, every day is what happened. And I would say, well, then get me some goddamn extras. Um, <laughs> well, we would. Is, people like, and like anything else will flake on you. Your best yeah. friends will disappoint you. Like, oh, traffic's so bad. I can't make it out to the valley. Like, that stuff. Um, you, you know, and then it's like, you know, it's just, it, it, it sort of, it's all the little things that go along with that. I, you know, we, um, you know, we, we, well, we couldn't use the gun outside of the complex. So then we, we had to kind of change the way we did things. We didn't have access to any doors in the apartment complex. So when you see Brian going in and out of his apartment, you know, she keeps running into him on the breezeway. We mm -hmm. went crazy finding ways to shoot that where you never saw that the door wasn't open. Um, you know, it's just things like that, that you have to just work around, um, you know, on a, on a movie like this. Um, and you, but you just, you just do it. You just figure out the best you can do and, and push forward. So you get something in the can. Well, I mean, the other part of it too, uh, that he's not mentioning is that we had a really uh, very bad pre-production, uh, in so much as that like, you know, on the Monday before the Thursday we were starting, we lost our uh, three, three main actors. Uh, oh, Nicole right. Bryden Bloom was not originally cast. Uh, we had somebody else, um, and we had dumbly, or we, you know, we learned a lesson. Uh, hired her like friend, or I don't know, boyfriend, or whatever, and just some, some big TV actress we can't mention because of you know libel and whatever. But um, yeah, she dropped out with no reason at all, and then her friend dropped out, and then the same day, collapses, rush to the hospital, dies. So now she's out. And so we had to move everything back a week and we uh, got Nicole to come. Uh, she came out and, you know, she didn't even get, you know, three hours to rehearse with Dave. And, right. uh, you know, we were sitting there on Friday. We pushed everything back a week to Monday and we didn't have, you know, the Brian character and we didn't have Miss Stanhope yet. And I was going through like acting reels and I found, you know, this, uh, you know, Susan, Susan Davis's reel and it had a number at the end of it. And I called the number and I thought it was going to be your manager or agent and it was her. And so I was like, hey, this is entirely inappropriate, but I'm going to pitch you the movie and I'm going to pitch you us and see what you think. And by the end of it, she was just like, well, I've never been in a cult movie before. And I think this sounds great. And then by 1130, like in the morning, we'd signed her. And then fast forward to that night, we're sitting in Barney's Beanery, still freaking out to see if we're going to have a movie. We're trying to call in favors to everybody from like Jason Blum to people we know, like, you know, I know his head of post-production very well. And he was trying to call CAA and like ICM and make them stay open later for our, you know, little movie. And, and finally, we get a call from Gersh, who was very helpful in all of this, that, um, that uh, Giles Matty had agreed to do it. But the way he we figured this out is that he has, he was driving down from San Francisco, had to pull over to the side of the road, had to like read the movie on his phone. And he just read his part. He didn't even read the rest of the movie. And he said, yes. So we were like, we're making a movie if everyone shows up on Monday, hooray. But like in addition to that, like while we were actually shooting and Dave didn't know this, like in the middle of the night, I get a call, I got a text something bad, something really bad has happened. And like, I don't answer this text, so I'm dead asleep because we're working like, you know, 17 hour, 18 hour days. 
And I like then answered the text in the morning and I'm like, well, what happened? And they were like, okay, in the middle of the night, like 2.30 in the morning, our production trucks were parked outside our, our office or our production office. And we had three trucks and we had a parking PA like sleeping or sitting in the middle one. And this white Escalade with no plates pulls up and these three guys get out and they break into the first truck and they drive off with it like in eight minutes or something. But this parking PA who was a historic heroic guy um, basically got in his own car, followed them, called the police. And then there was like a televised high-speed chase where they finally <laughs> what? cornered this guy at this gas station. And here's the, the fucked up part. This guy is a handsome devil. Police are being so nice to him. So nice. <laughs> like, so apparently he was part of like a truck stealing ring and uh, they had never been caught, but this guy was new to the ring. And so he turned state's evidence apparently, but I've never seen any restitution and I don't ever know that I will. So that was, that was another thing that was horrible that went on. And then we had a bunch of fires that were happening in the first place as well. Like when, you know, right before we were starting, we couldn't go to our production office because they didn't know if it hadn't burned down or not. And so we were trying to look on Google Earth and stuff, but you couldn't see anything because the fire was so bad. And like, it was just, uh, it was just a mess. And so, you know, all of that, right before we started shooting and then the production truck while we were shooting. So like every, you know, terrible thing that could befall, you know, this production has, but I'll say this, it's been good luck and it's been bad luck. I, I'm impressed you even managed to get it made. I mean, that, that's insane. Like one of those well, they, things we've they, they, uh, they, they let me write an article about it in uh, Movie Maker magazine where you can look that up and you'll see, you know, everything that went on. But like I said, good luck, bad luck. You know, bad luck, we weren't able to do our premiere and like have our theatrical opening and stuff because we were supposed to have a, like a little small, you know, 15, 20 theatrical opening. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get to do that because of COVID. But because of COVID, like it's wildly like, you know, um, been successful on VOD yeah. to the point that Netflix was like, hey, we'd like to pick you up. And we're like, we would very much like to be picked up by you. So like that all was a consequence of COVID, let's say, you know, um, I have a suspicion that, you know, COVID is also responsible for us to why we're number one, because there's some sort of weird, the, the whole quarantine thing plays into this movie in a way if you think about it like people who are paranoid of their neighbors even more so than they ever should be or are you know you got to stay away from them and like there's all these weird things that sort of like again good luck bad luck but it all seemed to work out in a way so we're very you know fortunate in, in, that it all did work out you know despite everything that's yeah <laughs> yes very much so <laughs> i mean did you expect i was like so you've made the film did you expect to get the response you've had so far i certainly didn't um <laughs> You know, I, uh, well, look, I mean, when we worked on this movie a long time, um, you know, I, I first wrote the script a long, long time ago, rewrote it, you know, three years ago or something. Um, you know, then we made, we shot it in uh, December, 2017. And then we, you know, then there was months of editing and then we got to go back and do four days of reshoots. And then there was more months of editing. And then there was, you know, then we kept running out of money. So there was like six months of post-production sound and VFX and so forth. So, you know, by the time you get to the end of that, like, it's just a collection of shapes and colors to me. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at at that point. Right. So it was, it was a surprise. Like I was just happily surprised that Fantasia wanted to show it. Like I was just mm. so happy that there was a festival out there, you know, with a good reputation that was willing to take a chance on it. And I think it wasn't until we went there and saw the response that it got 
in the theater. You know, we had two screenings at Fantasia and I think they were both either sold out or very close to it. And, you know, the audiences were really enthusiastic. Um, and I came away from that like, okay, like this, you know, on some level, this movie works, like at least for the, mm. you know, you get the right audience in front of it and it works. Um, but even then, you know, there's like, there's so much out there to watch, you know, yeah. and we're, you know, we don't have any stars. It's not particularly, I mean, I guess it's a little bit high concept, but it's not like, you know, it's not some crazy out there concept. So I didn't really have any reason to think that this was going to break through in any, any real way. I was really thrilled when Dark Sky wanted to pick us up. They're, they're a mm. great distributor. Um, and I knew, you know, we knew that they would handle it as well as possible for a movie of, of the scale. Um, but, you know, initially Netflix passed. They didn't want to, they didn't want to pick us up. You know, we, 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 we lost our theatrical run when, when COVID hit. So yeah, no, this has been like, you know, just the fact that it, it seemed to be doing well on VOD was enough for me. I was like happy that, you know, we had had a movie. We, it, it was out there, exists, it's real. So for, for, the, for the, this, what's happened in the last week with Netflix to me is just mind boggling. Like I don't understand it. Um, but I love it. <laughs> I, I would say this. We, we, we had done a certain amount of testing with it uh, ahead of time because that was, you know, our background. I, I did like, I mean, this isn't hugely scientific numbers, but altogether we had like five groups of 20 people that watched it that were friends of friends or what have you or, you know, friends. And um, we did focus groups with them. And it was a lot of really great information. I knew we were never going to be an excellent movie. We didn't have the money to be an excellent movie, but I knew that we were, it was like, and there wasn't a lot of rejection of it. There wasn't people that just out and out hated it, um, you know, as, as much. Um, and so because of that, we sort of, I had an, I had an inkling that it, it could be something, but you know, we didn't know until we got into, in front of Fantasia. And then because of Fantasia, we, we were asked by all these like top 25 genre festivals all over the world to to you know to participate to go to their festivals or whatever and so you know i actually made sure and we all made sure we, we all went to as many as we could you know because mm -hmm. it was like not only just trying to you know hype it press wise and get sort of that stickiness in there that you you, know, you start generating a lot of sort of stuff in the google sphere if you want to say right and i knew the more we went and, and showed up and like you know did the q a's and you know basically talked to people and like interacted with the, the the sort of the fans and these hardcore horror fans horror fans are like no other sort of breed of fan there's not like 200 and something like conventions for no reason there's you know like they're they are very passionate about it and if they like something they will sing it from like the rooftop let's call it and so it, i i knew we we, had, we did the strategy and then once that was over we you know we really tried to press um you know our publicists to get us in as many things as we could and then we even you know did stuff a little bit ourselves to you know to to do podcasts and whatever else and 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 we had a strategy from like when we were premiered on VOD till we would open on whatever streamer we were going to open up on we wanted to have the word out there and so we really did do a good amount of work to try to, to try to do that and then like like I said, the, the they said the Netflix thing was just like because that's really you have no control over that. Is people have like grabbed it for some reason and then told their friends and the word of mouth is there, the word of mouth is there, and then all of a sudden it just blows up into something. That kind of leads on to my next point. So you're you're working with uh, Dark Sky, who are great, um, and we, I'm working with them as well. So good company. How instrumental was the distribution company in the success of the film? Um, what I mean is, should you rely entirely on the PR? And the marketing activity, or do you need to bang your own drum? And but um, as an indie filmmaker, you've got to you've got to 
try and drum it up yourself as well, right? No one's going to care for your baby more than you care for your baby. And that's the truth mm-hmm. of it. Like, and they were really great. I mean, listen, here's the, th- here's the truth too. When you're trying to figure out getting a distributor, sales agent, or whatever, this is the thing you need to do research on because you've gone oh, all this trouble and there are so many unscrupulous players in that space. I can just tell you what, that they will mm. literally promise you the sky and then they will do just <clears throat> enough to make their nut and they will leave you by the side of the road to die. And that is the truth of it. And I went to so many friends and told me horror stories, whatever else. And finally we, we went and did our research and our other executive producer, Peter Pope had a relationship with them. He's done like, you know, steak land with them, like, you know, a couple of steak lands and, um, different things like that. And so he was a real advocate for them. We had another guy that I'm working with on my next movie, Marcel Sarmiento, did the movie Dead Girl. He had done that through them. And he was like, listen, I got a check and I got a statement every quarter. That you can't, you, there's a lot of people you have to chase down for that. These guys give it to you. They're not going to be acquired by a bigger company tomorrow. They've been around for a long time. They're a conservative, good company that's very boutique, that takes care of the projects they choose to take on. And so that's why we decided to go with them. Um, and, you know, their publicists did what they are supposed to do. They have only so much money to do whatever it is. But then, you know, we have things in our own brain where we want to, like, get certified on Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that, you know, sometimes it's a priority, sometimes it's not a priority, right? So, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think you have to you know, put your time in if you need to. Um, you know, so certain movies, it, there's sort of a thing where strategically it doesn't make sense to, to shoot it out to a ton of journalists because it's such a violent film or it's very polarizing in some way. So if you have like, you know, 20 good reviews, you might as well just keep it just there because if you send it to like, you know, 50 more people, you may have like 20 bad reviews. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's, a, yeah, it, it's actually a lot of strategy that goes into what you are going to do with your film if you need to do something with your film based off of like what type of film you have, if that makes sense. It does. It does. So what did you personally do? I mean, this isn't the only podcast you've done. Were you reaching out to podcasters and, and review sites? And- we, I mean, listen, our, we had a, a great publicist at uh, Fantasia and, uh, and uh, Brooklyn and, and Beyond Fest in LA, uh, Carrie uh, Hare. And, you know, she had gotten us, like, I mean, out of Fantasia itself, I think we had 26 reviews. And before, you know, Dark Skies Publicist got a hold of it, we already had 15 Rotten Tomatoes accredited reviews and probably about, you know, 50 reviews at that point. And, mm-hmm. and now we have roughly, um, I think we have 120 something reviews altogether, uh, of which like 68 or 69 of them are Rotten Tomatoes accredited, let's call it. And mm-hmm. uh, also we've done, I think it's like 18, well, I'll put it this way. Between interviews, reviews, and podcasts, we have 165 positive uh, things that we would talk about. <laughs> yeah. The rest of it, why bother? No one needs to know about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Apartment One BR has proven indie t- uh, titles are very much alive in today's market. That must make you feel very proud to be placed in the top rankings with films such as Project Power and Drunk Parents and the stellar cast that they've got. That's not easy to pull off, and I think it's a testament to the film's accessibility. It's engaging. It's gripping, and it's scary film, and, and, and it's scary. <laughs> Do you think that streaming audiences, sorry, streaming services have made audiences more accessible to filmmakers? I mean, I don't know. I don't really know the business side of it. That's a, a low can address that much better as a, as a, a writer and a director. I, I love these streaming services. Like I love Netflix. I love Hulu. I love, I love that all these places exist because they're almost like, you know, they're, they're the, the only people who are 
putting money into these kind of mid-sized movies and they, you know, especially Netflix has a, has a strong reputation for not interfering. They find mm. the people they want to partner with. They, you know, they, they get a package together that they're happy with and then they let you go do your thing. Um, and, you know, that's like, I mean, that's almost something that's never existed, but it's certainly, you know, it, it doesn't exist outside that world now. So like, to me, it's just, it's an incredible way for, you know, for, for independent filmmakers to get their creative vision out there. You know, just looking at what's happened over the last week, I think we, we did pretty well on VOD, but like, I, I don't know what numbers we're talking about. We're talking about an order of magnitude fewer people seeing the movie than the moment it arrived on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, that's what it's all about. I want, you know, we, we made this movie so people would watch it and, you know, hopefully get something out of it, be entertained by it, be scared by it. And, you know, Netflix is a huge platform. It's a huge place where, where, you know, we can just get it out to so many more people. And to me, like, that's the most exciting thing. That's always what I've wanted to do. I'm thrilled that Netflix and, and streamers like that exist and they, they're giving a home to, to independent films. Yeah. Now, the business side of it, I think, is maybe not so great. And Alok can probably talk about that better. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, they're, they're very you know, close to the vest with all of their information, Netflix is, right? And, and I know why. It's because if they tell us what we've done, they got to tell everybody. You know what I mean? Like, they, like everyone's going to bug them for whatever else. And not everything's doing, you know, as well let's say, right? But we tried to, I, I worked with like some market research friends who still, you know, work in that space. And we tried to backward engineer and try to figure out how many people had watched this. And they told me that they thought probably somewhere between 15 and 18 million people watched us mm-hmm. this last week. Now, who- That's the who, first time I heard that number. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I talked to, I talked to two guys on Saturday. <laughs> how many people would have seen this if you'd gotten theatrical release? Like 10,000? Maybe. Maybe 10,000 if you're lucky, you know? And then like, how many people have seen us like, you know, over, you know, whatever. I, I, I could guess like 40,000 people maybe have seen us probably on like, you know, VOD. I don't know about, you know, Blu-ray sales or anything like that, but like, you know, of what we know, like maybe probably that much. So like 50,000 people have seen you with a theatrical and like a VOD release versus like 15 million people who've seen you now. So yes. Mm-hmm. I like Netflix quite a bit. I wish I could they'd be a little bit more transparent. That's my, that's my only yeah, bit. Yeah, I think the whole industry wishes for that. Yeah. yeah. So this has been a stellar intro to, to the market for you guys. What's next? Are oh, you yeah. working on something now? I mean, are you, are you, are you just you're going to keep riding that trajectory up? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, look, you should probably start here because you have another project you're working on right now. Yeah, we're, we're actually in a casting phase for a project uh, we're doing with Marcel Sarmiento, who did Dead Girl. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, Shane Forrester, myself. And also, um, we got one of the, uh, Lindsay Lanzanella, who was uh, one of the uh, uh, producers for The Invitation, ironically. People have a lot of comparisons to our movie The Invitation sometimes. But uh, she's uh, helping us as well as Chris, this guy, Chris Sanders. And uh, again, um, so we're doing that casting right now. Hopefully we're going to shoot in January is the idea. And mm-hmm. then um, we have another movie we're working on with David. Um, that's a really cool movie, even much better than 1BR. I'll just tell you that right now. But we cannot tell you anything about it because we're trying to J.J. Abrams the shit out of this. That's the thing. Okay. There's the box. We're not going to tell you what's in the box. You'll wonder what's in the box. Maybe you want to come pay some money to see what's in this box. Maybe so. 
Let's see. <laughs> is it gonna be? Can I ask if it's gonna be within the same genre, or are we are we are we, are we moving away from horror? Kind of going away. Yeah, it's okay. not. It's it's definitely not horror. Um, yeah. I, I yeah I uh, I don't know what I'm allowed to say, Alok. So I, I'm gonna defer to you here. <laughs> He's shaking his head right <laughs> now. <so>. Nothing. <laughs> all, all I can say that's is like, that. No, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a script that's uh, that's very near to my heart. It it I'm, I'm really thrilled to be able to to finally uh, make it, and I've been using my COVID uh, lockdown to, um, to rewrite it and try to make it as strong as possible before we uh, go out and, and, and start to get the cast together. Well, I wish you both the best of luck with that and, uh, and continued success for 1BR. I mean, it's, it's not on physical yet. And uh, you are out in the UK um, via Bluefinch, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and hopefully does well in the rest of the world. It's important to note that we are called Apartment 1BR in, in yes. the UK in comparison. And also, it's going to be the same name in uh, Australia as well, because clearly, unbeknownst to us, uh, none of you people know what 1BR means, because you call it one bed or something like that uh, in, in, uh, over there. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah, I was going to actually ask that. And then earlier on, David sort of mentioned one bedroom. And I was like, oh, OK. That's... Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, that, that, no that's, how, that's that always. Meant. That's always what I called it in my head. You know, it, it, it's written 1BR because that's the real estate shorthand in the U.S. But whenever I said the title in my head, it was always one bedroom. But now everybody just calls it 1BR. So, Yes, I, and, and we found out that uh, in, in Japan, they're going to call us. Or it's already, actually, you know, it's already out, yeah. Dave, by the way. I didn't realize it was. Oh, already, I didn't know that, no. Yeah, it was. Uh, the, the I love July. the Japanese. The Japanese poster is so awesome. Yeah, it's I've called, seen it. I saw it on Alex's yeah. uh, social. I, with yeah, I, it's called Madhouse, <laughs> and it's it's literally like I, you know, I I, uh, I I I took Japanese in school, and I was an exchange student there, and it's literally it's not like the translation of Madhouse. It's called Madhouse. Madhouse. <laughs> that's that's what this movie is called, Madhouse. You know, yeah, everybody's everybody's got to come up with the right title the for their market. Into July, they didn't tell us, but I was like, okay, great, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what it is well yeah, listen, been, thank uh, you so much for staying up staying up with us uh, you said you mentioned you were doing something with the uh, dark sky as well what, what are you doing with them well you know um rich oaks um another leader of hosts yeah, yeah. so i produced hosts oh, oh yeah we love richard yeah he's a dude right? yeah i don't know why i don't know why i didn't put that together and stuff um i <laughs> oh congratulate that host is awesome man yeah that was richard, oh, thank richard, you so richard much sent me sent me a link to it i saw it a couple months ago Oh, congratulations yeah. on the, they just got into Sitches. Um, That's right, well. yeah, just announced. They're, they're yeah. premiering at yeah. Sitches. Nice. That, they, they found out or announced it, so that's completely amazing. Um, hopefully, it's going to be, you know, a live festival, um, you know. That's uh, why Odin's Light sounded familiar to me. <laughs> that's the production company, right? That's right, yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait for them to see everyone to see that that one scene, and I won't say anything about it. But yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I'm looking forward to the audience reaction to that. I mean, they're gonna lose their fucking mind. <laughs> 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 I'm telling you this: you're gonna have people like get up and walk out. I hope <laughs> it's so. That's what sure. we're on. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, because there's just, there's, when we, you know, this isn't the trailer, so I don't feel bad about it, but like, you know, with consistency, like we'd always have maybe one person. It's usually older. Like they shouldn't have been in there anyways, like watching right, this movie. Right. <laughs> Get up and leave. Like, okay, fair enough. That just, that proves that we affected them at least, you know, da, da, yeah. da. But um, you might even have more like, you know, severe reactions and stuff. I used to, when I used to test movies, like, I mean, 
we did the um, the Dowell Brothers uh, first movie, Poughkeepsie Tapes. And literally, we had people run out of the theater, throw up, and not because it was too shaky. They were just affected, like it was like that, like uh, you know. So I think you're gonna. It's gonna be really interesting. To see. But you're but you're coming out in October, though, right? So you're in, not in gonna, North America. Yeah, we we America. haven't got dates locked for uh, UK yet. We kind of got provisional ones that I can't uh, say now. But um, okay. yes, October second. SN, uh, out in USA and Canada on VOD. For you guys, it's going to be great. Like you're just kind of uh, starting off on this great journey that you're going to have so much fun and excitement. And like, I mean, it is, it is still work, but I'll tell you, it's like the best work. Like in comparison to like, you know, whatever hardship you may have had before, this is just the gravy, like going and doing Q and A's hopefully live and, and talking to, you know, other filmmakers and becoming friends with other filmmakers and like, you know, finding people you want to work with next time as a producer and you know, whatever. It's, it's going to be an interesting time for you. I can say that. Guys, thank you so much for, for speaking to me about how things are going with 1BR. And, and like, like I said, I, I hope it, I hope it continues to be successful across the world now. Like you're going to see the same level of success that you've had in the USA. Hope so. Hope so too. Thank you so much for having us. This has been really yes. fun. Appreciate that. It's, it's been a lot of fun for sure. 